Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. We're into week two of the US Open and what a cracker it's been. Andy Roddick and Kim Kleisters both announcing their retirements. The top three in the men's game still in and my prediction's doing, well, absolutely terribly. You'll hear from Lindsay Davenport, Alex Karecha and Roger Federer's coach Paul Anacone right here on the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. I'm David Law and with me is Catherine Whitaker as usual. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm very well. The Atlantic Ocean currently between us. I'm in New York covering the US Open for BBC Radio 5 Live. Catherine is in the UK and quite honestly, I I don't really know what time it is at the moment. Um, Last night I was covering the joint latest match in US Open history, 2.26 in the morning between John Isner and uh, Philip Kohlschreiber. And uh, Mats Verlander and Mikhail Pernforsch, two stars of the ATP Champions Tour, are the only two players that have ever done that before. That's very interesting. You were probably were you, were you in bed? Were you were you in bed or were you up? I was up actually. I have to say, I had I, I might have had a little um, doze during that rain delay. Um, you, you hold on. You stayed up for the whole match. I didn't stay up for the whole match. No, but I have I have adjusted my body clock quite uh, quite successfully. I'm I'm sympathetic. I'm sympathetically on New York time, I suppose. <laughs> You're mad. That is brilliant. Uh, well, uh, I, I, I say that, of course, but um, I think we'd better address right away um, the the quite awful predictions that I've made ahead of this uh, US Open. Uh, if you need a little bit of reminding, in episode 10, I went for Petra Kvitova for the title, and she lost a six-love final set to Marion Bartoli. And then I also went for John Isner to reach the quarterfinals or better. And he crashed out in the third round last night to Philip Kohlschreiber in the dead of the night. Um, so I'm not very happy at the moment. And you had the um, pleasure and, of commentating fact, on it. Did it feel like it was happening in slow motion? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's trying to keep the bias out of your tones when reporting um, on Five Live is, uh, <laughs> is is difficult, but it is something we have to do. But uh, I mean, it was um, it was a a poor performance overall by John Isner, and I was reading that that's his fourth five set 
loss mm. in slams this year. This There's is it, isn't it? This is what we've been saying. There's just something not not connecting in 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 John Isner, is there? I mean, why isn't he? I mean, you you watched every point of that match. Can you explain it? Can you explain why he's not not getting to the quarterfinals as you predicted? Well, I, I think. I mean, I think to be honest with you, he he looked tired, and his coach. It was interesting what they do on the tennis channel here. Is they get uh, Justin Gummelstab into the crowd, and they interview the coach, and they get a proper insight. and And the coach said, "Yeah, he he's a bit tired at the moment." and uh, And he says, "I quite like the fact when he's tired because he he stops thinking about the sport too much." And I thought. Yeah, okay. I mean, I see where you're coming from with that. Isn't everyone a bit tired at the US Open, though? I mean, isn't that the thing? You know, everyone's in tired. Everyone's in a bit of pain. It's it's dealing with that. They are, but the big difference is with John Isner is look at the schedule that he plays. He played last week in Winston-Salem and he won the tournament about 10-8 in the third set tiebreak against Thomas Burditch. I think the point I'm making is the very, very top players they don't play the week before. They just don't anymore. And, uh, you know, at Wimbledon, players play Queens so that there's a good week in between. And, and at the Australian Open, they most of the top ones will play an exhibition or they'll play Brisbane, but then they won't necessarily play the week before. You know, they, they, they come in fresh. He didn't look fresh, to be honest. He looked, he looked fatigued. It's bizarre, though, because you mentioned Queens there at, at- for Wimbledon, I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, he chooses to play no warm-up at all on grass. It, it's I agree with you, his scheduling, um, there doesn't seem to be a bit of, much logic to it to me. And um, I mean, I he's, think- he says that Winston-Salem is his home event, and let's face it, he won it. And, you know, if he'd have run reached the quarterfinals, I suppose we would have been saying that's an inspired decision. But um, the fact is that it, it is a disappointing loss. It's one that he's accepted as a disappointing loss. And um, he's out. And, I mean, I was wrong. I was wrong. And it's really depressing. And uh, Petra Kvitova was uh, was. I don't know what happened to her. I mean, to be honest, to be that fair, that was that's a weird scoreline, and a, that was yeah, a weird was match, wasn't it? One um, six six two six love, and um, yeah, inexplicable. Really, nothing happened. There was no injury. There was no incident um, to explain that kind of reversal. I mean, it was always a slightly. Um, she's volatile, isn't she? It was a. It was a risky pick from you. Let's, let's say she, she could easily win the tournament. It, it was calculated. A pick. It was just um, she can just as easily lose in the first round. Or she won Wimbledon last year. It was calculated. Yeah, yeah, she did. She did. All yep. right, it was yep. a rubbish pick. All right, it was rubbish, and I was, <laughs> I'm rubbish. End of. Right. Um, uh, fair play to Marion Bartoli, though, because she played really well and she got in her face and she, I, I mean, she was celebrating as if she was. Winning Wimbledon every point. It was it was fun to watch. Actually. Never going to let you off um, the hook, Marion Bartoli. Is she? Her intensity is um, no, no, is no, quite no. intimidating. She's, uh, she's full on, absolutely. Well, we knew uh, we knew that the U.S. Open was going to be emotional the moment that Kim Clijsters arrived because she'd already announced that she was retiring after the U.S. Open this year. What we didn't realise was that Andy Roddick was going to join her. No, I know. How are you feeling Bit about that? Bit of a shame, isn't it's, it? It's weird, isn't it? I'm finding it very strange. I feel like he's my, he's the first of my um, sort of contemporaries, really, to retire. You're getting um, old, Catherine. And the thought of him, you know, obviously it's it's away in the future. He'll take some time off and everything. But the prospect of him possibly playing on the Champions Tour is a very bizarre one for me because I see yeah. all these guys as... 
you know, old fogies that I've obviously seen tapes of and all sort of caught the back end of their careers in real life. But I feel like I've been there every step of the way um, with Roddick. And so that's very strange. Yeah, I suspect he's going to have a couple of years where he doesn't really look at a tennis racket too much, to be honest. That's what most players tend to do. And then eventually they they start to think, actually, you know what? I really enjoyed hitting tennis balls. And then they discover the Champions Tour and they realize that all of their old rivals and, I mean, people that uh, Roddick would have played with, like uh, Marit Safin is on the Champions Tour and Carlos Moyer and players like that. And they start to realize, actually, there's, there is a... A circuit out there that would do the job for me to be quite honest but uh, I mean what was interesting I mean I, I don't know how how shocked you were over in the UK upon hearing this news I mean it was it was interesting that that it came through for us during a commentary we were on um, another match at the time and we got word that Andy Roddick had called a press conference and that could only mean one of two things that he was either pulling out of the tournament with an injury or that he was announcing his retirement and it happened on his 30th birthday um, and when we when we got in the room it was quite clear what was happening there were uh, his his friend Marty Fish had just finished a press conference and was staying around his wife Brooklyn Decker was in the room you know just about all of his friends and and people that he's he's come up with were there and he was very short very to the point mm-hmm. this is it i've had i've had all i can take really and the fact is he doesn't want to be an also ran mm. i really um i really have a lot of respect for what he said in the press conference and i think um i think he d- he doesn't want to fall out of love with the sport does he he doesn't he doesn't want to be on the tour knowing that he's not able to give everything or not willing to give everything and um yeah the sen- those sentiments are sort of staying true to to the way he's conducted himself through on on and off the court in his his entire career um isn't it and i think um yeah, i think in the I mean, end he's... it was quite fitting when i heard the initial news i was i was surprised obviously it had crossed my mind sort of you know at queens this year we were obviously it had crossed our minds that this might be the last time we see him at queens but then i'd started to think you know maybe he'll take a couple of months off at the end of the year and try and regroup to have one last one last shot. Um, well, I think he was planning that. I think he initially planned to have one more year, maybe a restricted schedule, as he said. But I think he just suddenly got here. And also at Wimbledon, I think when he did that wave at the end, mm. I think he thought, mm, I'm not sure I'm going to be back here, you know. And he made the best of that wave to, to the crowd. He properly stopped and turned around and waved them off. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a shame. I mean, he's literally turned 30 last week. And it's that's pretty young for a tennis player to call it a day. But when you think of the miles that are on the Andy Roddick clock, I mean, he's been around since seventeen eighteen, and he doesn't take shortcuts. No, and but it somehow doesn't seem premature, does it? Or it certainly doesn't to me. I feel like he has, you know, as soon as he came, he had that brief, brief spell at number one, didn't he? he won the US Open, he got to number one, uh, and then all of a sudden Federer became Federer, as it were. And uh, he's been battling against that his whole life and his, uh, his whole career even. And he's seen the likes of, you know, his contemporaries around the same time that he became number one. I think he his predecessor at number one was Juan Carlos Ferrero. And before that, I think it was, was Leighton Hewitt. And look what's hap- happened to them. You know, they're, they're still slogging away, particularly Hewitt, who I know Roddick has an immense amount of respect for. But they have dropped away. And I think Roddick could easily have let 
let that happen to him but he he has he's struggled and fought to to maintain his place in the top 10 for for a decade really and um i think that must have must have taken its toll and um it 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 does feel right to me and it obviously yeah, feels it's interesting right you him. mentioned hewitt because uh hewitt he talked about in his press conference he said they used to butt heads they didn't used to like each other very much and he says now we've we've gone from nodding and saying hello to practicing and respecting each other and now quite liking each other it's taken best part of a decade to get to that point but uh, they actually really i think see eye to eye now and, and i i think that's quite quite good to see because they are so similar in many ways they're both full-on competitors they've given a lot to the game and i think that they really appreciate what each other has contributed give me your your favorite andy roddick memory my favourite Andy Roddick memory. Um, well, I've got two. Am I allowed two? Um, my mm. the very first time I queued up at Wimbledon, um, the first match I saw in the flesh was Andy Roddick uh, playing against. Play? Um, I think I think it was Alberto Martin on uh, on court eighteen. Um, oh, that was a good draw. And uh, he looked so young. I mean, he was still a couple of years older than me, but he, you know, he was baseball cap wearing and he had that sort of something of a young puppy about him you know that sort of massive serve and sort of his feet looked sort of a bit too big for him and that sort of thing um and my other memory is how many puppies have a massive serve sorry sorry how many puppies have a massive serve (laughs) you know what i mean sorry i hope you know what i mean i hope everyone listening knows what i mean oh dear um if my second memory is uh, US Open 2003, his semi-final against David Nalbandian. Um, that was one of the most exhilarating matches I've ever seen. Um, and uh, obviously there was the line call, which everyone remembers. And um, I think David Nalbandian had knocked, done Roddick a favour and knocked Federer out in, in the round before. Um, and uh, yeah, that was obviously the um, the most difficult match on route to him winning his... Um, He's won Grand Slam. How about you? Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go one better than you. I'm going to have three. Um, 2003 Australian Open against Eunice Elenawi, 21-19 in the fifth set. Absolutely stunning match. One of the best matches I've ever seen. Players high-fiving the crowd and hugging each other at the end. Absolutely wonderful atmosphere. That I'd was also during the visor the, days, wasn't it? No, no. Uh, actually, hold on. yes, it was. I think it was it just was. before. Just before he joined up with Brad Gilbert. Actually, that was. And um, uh, and yes, and Brad Gilbert said to him you know get rid of that visor you know if you if you want to if you want to intimidate your opponents you don't wear a visor uh, and i have to say i think he made a valid, very valid point there um and then later in that year once he ditched the visor he won the us open didn't he beating juan carlos ferrero in the final you mentioned the the semi against now and uh, and the final game against ferrero which i think was 46 seconds long and he just served four bombs and it was over and that was a great moment. And then, then of course, that Wimbledon final in 2009, 16-14, uh, a backhand volley that will probably oh. haunt his dreams for, for the rest of his life to some degree. I think he's he's found some peace with it. I mean, he was so, so close to winning Wimbledon. I, and I, think, I find well, that one a really tough one to think about. Yeah, I, don't know. And I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I think we should just, you know, end end on the Roddick story on the note of, of Roger Federer, who, who, who said in his press conference the other day, to me, he is a Wimbledon champion. And well, that's that, what I was that, just about to say. To me, I think, I know the results 
the results don't lie and generally history remembers people um, in the light that they more or less ought to be but I do think it is an injustice that Andy Roddick doesn't have a Wimbledon title to his name yeah, so honorary Wimbledon champion Andy Roddick and uh, wish him a good retirement and and just a few quick words about uh, Kim Clijsters as well We've, we have covered her before obviously we knew she was going to be retiring but uh, it was still emotional wasn't it and um, and seeing her in the mixed doubles the other day uh, in her very final match uh, you know I just you just sort of watched her and thought crikey not going to see this player on court again it's it's a shame yeah huge shame I was kind of hoping she um she might have a real run in the mixed or the um, the ladies' doubles. There would have been something really romantic about that, wouldn't there? Her, her lifting a mixed doubles title to say goodbye or something like that. But um, the the time's definitely right for her, wasn't it? She's you've sort of got no worries that she is going to go on and to her new life and uh, be totally fulfilled and happy in whatever she does. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. And actually, uh, I spoke to Lindsay Davenport here, a former world number one and contemporary of both Kleisters and Roddick, and asked her to say a few words about them. Well, I think it's it's phenomenal. And Kim, we, we've known for a while that this was coming. I mean, she predicted this almost back in 2009. She thought 2012 would be her final year. And earlier this year, she said the U.S. Open would be her last tournament. Um, but it's still hard to see her go. There's no question that it... Um, it affected her a bit, I felt, in the match. I mean, it's hard to keep your focus on a match anyway, and when you know that it's your last match, it's even tougher. But um, obviously a huge gap now in the women's game and just her overall sportsmanship and, and her leadership off the court. Um, and for Roddick, I was, I was sadly surprised, you know, and, and everyone thought he was going to take the rest of the year off and try and recharge for one more push in 2013. But, you know, everyone keeps going back to that wave he made at Wimbledon when he lost and he was walking off court and very rarely... I don't think ever had Andy Roddick ever turned back around and, and waved to the crowd. And, and that really potentially signaled that he knew this was coming, really wanted to play the Olympics this year. Um, but I'm happy for him, and I think it's fantastic he's given the crowd here in the United States um, some notice, give them a chance to, to really honor him and cheer him on uh, for what will hopefully be a long run. So it's building up now, Catherine, into a pretty thrilling second week of the US Open, isn't it? And uh, all the big guns really on the men's side are still there, aside from my fantastic prediction of John Isner. Um, But uh, Roger Federer particularly looks serene at the moment, doesn't he? He doesn't look as if he's, he's got any worries in the world, looks completely at home out there at the moment. He does, which is ominous. Uh, I'd say Novak Djokovic has looked pretty serene so far as well. Um, Andy Murray never looks serene, so we can't really read very much into that. Um, but generally speaking, he's he's played pretty well. I know he had a bumpy ride against um, Lopez, but um, I, I think we have to note um, when talking about that that Lopez played a sensational match against against Murray I think that's the closest by a long shot he's ever come to yeah he's never got that close before has he yeah and actually Djokovic's run you know Djokovic's quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Lost 14 games in nine sets through the first three rounds. So he's basically averaging one and a half games lost per set. That is uh, that's pretty scary. It's pretty ominous, isn't it? Mind you, his, his most of his opposition wasn't up to much, to be quite honest. I think Julian Beneteau. I was surprised that he didn't push him a bit further in the third round. But uh, on the subject of Federer, I mean, you know, he's going for his sixth title this this fortnight. He he, he looks so fresh. I, I saw him coming into. Uh, his pre-event press conference a few minutes after Andy Murray had done his and, and so the, they kind of passed each other in the corridor and uh, and shook hands and Federer had a big sort of grin on his face as Andy came out and he said how were they and he was just he was just fascinated to to know how the British press had treated Andy Murray ahead of yet another Grand Slam obviously with the Olympics having been won you know it's it adds an extra little dimension but Federer he looked sickeningly healthy and and uh, and suntanned I mean you know he's 31 years of age but you would never know and actually I I spoke to his coach Paul Anacone Catherine and I put it to him that Rogers return to number one after being largely written off was one of the great stories yeah he's had a great run and and uh, you know he's played some terrific tennis and you know the guy's just a phenomenal athlete with um an unbelievable amount of talent which is only matched by his drive and determination and um, it's been a great year and obviously you know winning Wimbledon was a spectacular result and really happy about that and and getting the silver medal he was really pleased with Um, you know Andy had a tremendous tournament at the Olympics and played some great tennis so which was also really nice to see Um, but I think Roger's done a good job and I think uh, you know there's a lot more tennis left so hopefully he can keep the momentum going. I think it puts into perspective when you consider really of Roger's contemporaries, the people he came up with, there's really only Leighton Hewitt probably left now. Andy Roddick yesterday calling time on his career, at least at the end of this tournament. I imagine that was um, 
quite a poignant moment for Roger. Yeah, I mean, we sat and watched Andy's announcement, and, you know, it brings up a lot of emotion for everybody. Andy was a great player and is a great player, but, you know, tennis lives end, and real life kicks in after that. And I think, you know, it's a testimony to Roger to be able to be playing at this level still. And I think ultimately it's just that he really loves his life and still loves to compete at this level and, and does everything he can to make sure he can sustain it for as long as possible. How long do you think we've got him for? I don't know. I would hope at least a few more years. And, uh, you know, with the, with the talent that he has, I wouldn't second-guess anything that's going on in his mind. Catherine, you mentioned uh, the struggle that uh, Andy Murray had against Feliciano Lopez. I mean, were there, were there moments in that when you thought, actually, this could go horribly wrong a la Stan Wawrinka two years ago? That's an interesting question, actually, because no, there weren't. I was, um, I was very calm throughout, which if the exact same match had been played this time last year, I think I would have had that feeling of, oh, goodness gracious, this, this, this doesn't look right to me. Um, he could you know this could all go horribly wrong as you say but this year or this tournament I I didn't have that I did just have a feeling that um that it would you know I don't know more of a winner's mentality or you know whatever you want to call it I am more calm watching Andy Murray now than I've ever been Lendl part of that uh yes definitely but um I, I think uh, Olympic win is is a greater part of that because I didn't have that serenity watching him in at Wimbledon, but then I did at the Olympics. That Olympic final against Federer, um, I think I remember saying this on the podcast. I wasn't. I I had a serenity and a calmness watching him, and just a just a, a feeling of assurance, I guess. Um, yeah, I know, I know what previously. you mean. Well, I, I spoke to um, Alex Correccia, one of his former coaches, and of course now the Davis Cup captain of Spain. I asked, um, I asked Alex what difference he thinks the addition of Ivan Lendl to Andy Murray's team might be making. Andy's got an unbelievable team behind him already since a long time. Now Ivan is uh, adding him things, which for sure they are great, because Ivan was an uh, unbelievable player. And, and he knows the game very well and I, I'm happy to see they're doing well because uh, for me Andy is like a, like a, like a small or younger brother for, to me and I do love him a lot uh, I like the way they've been treating me Judy and Jamie his brother you know and the whole team and when he won at the Olympics we exchanged messages with Andy with Danny Baberdu, with uh, Chess with Trickle with, with all the team you know and, and it's with Lou Judy everyone so it's been unbelievable to me and that's why for me it's, it's nice to see him doing well. How do you like his chances of winning this title and winning his first Grand Slam? Well, I think sooner or later it will come. I have no doubt about it. I never had it and now even more. Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to be here or not because this is very difficult to know. But for sure if he's got the chance I think he could take it. Well, there's Alex Karecha, who knows plenty about uh, Andy Murray. And, uh, I mean, it was it was interesting. And I tell you, tonight's match, I mean, is a real test for Andy Murray. It's going to be Milos Raonic uh, of Canada. And, I mean, who knows how it's going to go. It's a difficult one to pick. But uh, but I saw the match that Raonic played against James Blake a couple of days ago. And I was, I was campaigning for that to be an Arthur Ashe Stadium match. I was thinking it could be a real cracker. 
And for the first two sets, I've never seen James Blake manhandled by a player like that before, and that includes by Roger Federer. He was absolutely blasted off the court. He's a real threat. He is. He's 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 the threat now that I think people have been predicting him to be for for a year or so. Um, yeah, he certainly seemed to have um, uh, stepped it up a notch against James Blake. But then I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean. Uh, I don't, I'm not 100% confident, but I think I'm less worried than you um, for Murray's chances against Raonic. I think traditionally, I think um, the big servers trouble him less. Um, obviously, he's such a strong returner. Um, he was troubled by Feliciano Lopez's serve, um, obviously, in the last round. But I think that was more the, the placement, that lefty serve, that sliding lefty serve um, that was troubling him. So I I don't know. I think he could cause some problems. I could see it going to four, but I, I really I really can't see I think Murray would have to play very badly um for that not to be um a win for him. I, I don't know, maybe well, you disagree. It'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting. We'll be covering that one uh on BBC Radio 5 Live tonight. I'm not sure when you'll be listening to the podcast, but uh, if you're listening to it in the afternoon, do join us. Um, but it's going to be very interesting, that one. And on also an interesting announcement today, Catherine, that uh, Rafael Nadal is officially out for the next two months. The earliest he's possibly going to consider coming back is for the ATP World Tour Finals, which I was having a look at the standings for, and, and he certainly built up enough points to qualify for that. Um, and and, you know, it's 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 quite a quite a big statement, I think, and I and I think the right one from Nadal, make put a line in the sand, give himself two months to get ready, and then probably more or less be used in those couple of events, whether it's the the World Tour Finals or the Davis Cup Final at the end, if they manage to reach it, they play the States in a, after this tournament in the semis, you know, use that those weeks to almost get ready for the new season. Yes, I agree, and, and um, I have I have ultimate faith in his um, schedule management. I, I mean, you just know that his team and, and he are making the most sensible decisions possible to to get him healthy as soon as possible. I'm a little bit concerned about the the chunks of time that they're talking in or, or announcing him. You know, the fact that they're already to, able to announce um, that. It, yeah, but what else is there to come back for? Well, I guess so. I guess it's because there isn't anything significant between now and then. However, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he announced his withdrawal from the US Open well well in advance of the event, didn't didn't he? So he was obviously nowhere near um, fit for the US Open. I mean, it's difficult because we are being given limited information, aren't we? So it's, it's, it's second-guessing. Um, but we all just want him back as soon as possible, don't we? I mean, that's the... That's but the we want him back fully fit, don't we? And um, and actually, I spoke to, to Alex Karecha on the subject of Murray earlier, and I also asked him for an update on the condition of Rafael Nadal from his perspective. I, I don't think it's it's a major deal, but if it's something on your knee is bothering you, you need to recover from that, and hopefully he's going to recover soon. Um, what is the latest you've heard from him, how he's feeling? Well, I had lunch with him five days ago in Barcelona and he's very pumped to come back. But he said till he's not 100%, of course, he's not going to do any major movements. Yeah, that's the important thing, isn't it? doesn't want to jeopardise anything yeah. in the future. Do you, do you still think he has Grand Slams and the best of his career still ahead of him? Yeah, why not? I mean, he's been winning Slams this year already. He plays finals at the beginning of the year and then he won French Open. And I think he was at his best, probably. He was playing very well, very aggressive. 
for unfortunately it came this this uh, injured but now whenever he comes back for sure he will come back very strong Okay, so there's uh, Alex Karetscher talking about Rafael Nadal. Doesn't sound too bad. Sounds as if he will be back, but we we know it certainly won't be back for a couple of months. But we hope him. We wish him all the very best. Hope he comes back fully fit, and uh, and hopefully we'll see him very soon, uh, winning slams or at least contending for them. Now on the women's side, really the story of the tournament, apart from Kim Clijsters retirement Catherine has been the run of Laura Robson the 18 year old who beat Kleisters she beat Lee Na uh, the French Open champion in back-to-back matches and she gave a decent match to uh, to Sam Stosi yesterday it's been a real arrival of Laura Robson hasn't it yeah it certainly has it reminds me a little bit of uh, Melanie Uden uh, a few years ago um, unfortunately she hasn't reproduced the form since but just that sort of somebody announcing themselves on the scene and and toppling a couple of the seeds. But I do think Laura Robson's uh, the real deal. You know, I'm not necessarily predicting Grand Slam wins or anything, who knows, but I do think she's the real deal in terms of a top top 20, top 30 player. Um, she's She's got the big game. It, it suddenly looks like she's she's had some lead weights removed from her, from her trainers or something. It's bizarre. You know, even at the Olympics where she, you know, she won a silver medal in the mix with Andy Murray, um... You know, she, she, the movement has obviously been the weakest part of her game. She's it always has been, but uh, she just she looked sort of stuck in the mud. It was almost that she was slow, slow to get moving. You know, slow in her reaction speed. Um, but that just seems to have changed. You know, she's never going to be the fastest girl on the tour. But I mean, the transformation at this event, I I thought was was quite quite striking i don't i don't know what it's been like for you seeing her up close no absolutely and i mean her ball striking is just is just top five potential i mean it is as good as anybody in the world her purity of of hitting but uh, she she was she was reaching balls that that she hasn't before and 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 i think she's developing she's working hard i think she's got a coach now who means business shelka cryan i got an interview with him for bbc radio 5 live while i was out here and and he is a no-nonsense coach and and i i suspect he'll as long as they can get along he'll get the best out of her yeah and i think it's really positive that there's her um and heather watson you know coming through at the same time similar age i think they're really pushing one another on and that's what you know, for the for the past few years, um, you know, Murray hasn't had that. You know, he's he's had to be, um, you know, obviously he's had the the others at the top four. But when you're first breaking through, I think having somebody else that you're sort of constantly being compared to, um, they're good friends as well. Of course, you know, there's no bitter rivalry or anything. But I I I think that's a very um, positive thing for for both their careers, really. Let's uh, let's ask um, former world number one Lindsay Davenport how far she thinks Laura Robson can go. Well, that's the thing you never know. I mean, she's got the tools. It's how people put the tools together to be to become good at the top. Um, this is obviously a huge step in the right direction. Something that a lot of people have been waiting for for a couple of years with her progression. Um, but she's got to stay down the right path. She's got to keep trying to enjoy it. She's got to enjoy the challenge. She's going to want to keep getting better. Want to keep working harder, and. Really, in all honesty, the rest is up to her and and how she goes from here, because certainly it would be a surprise if she wasn't able to make the top 10 and top five, but it's up to each player on how they handle the path. 
Well, that was Lindsay Davenport talking about Laura Robson to me on BBC Radio 5 Live, who I'm here for um, in New York this fortnight. And uh, 5 Live have kindly agreed to to let us have the audio of those interviews to, to put on the tennis podcast and hope you're enjoying them with us. Now, one of the court, one of the off-court stories that has um, been going around here at the US Open revolved around a story which broke in the Sunday Times last weekend, Catherine, in which the, the players were reported to be considering a boycott of the Australian Open over prize money levels at the Grand Slam tournaments. Now, a couple of days later, I spoke on Five Live to Craig Tiley, the tournament director of the Australian Open, and he confirmed to me that the strike threats had been made earlier in the year following a player meeting in Australia in January, but that he was sure that those strike threats would be averted. Well, we're 100% confident that all the players are going to show, both the men and the women. Uh, we've been, we've had a great run in the past several years. We've had the top 100 men, top 100 women come down and compete, and we are lucky because it's the beginning of the year, so there's not many events leading in, so players have got a chance to recover. Um, but in, uh, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with the playing group, and and not just now when this this uh, threat became more public, but but throughout the year, and we'll continue to have conversations. So we're confident that we're going to uh, continue on, and and between now and when we have the Australian Open, we'll be you know, making an announcement what our compensation is and, and how we will reward the players for their participation. You say you're 100% confident. What makes you 100% confident? What are you planning to do that is going to appease them? Well, I think, first of all, is the ATP put a statement out recently that uh, they, as an organisation, are not uh, supporting a, a, a boycott. Um, however, it's the players that make the decision. We realise that. But in just in the private conversations I've had with the players, no one has the intention to boycott. Uh, it's not good for the sport, not good for them, not good for the slams. So we're all reasonable people. We'll come to a, a, a situation that'll be satisfactory for everyone. We're confident we will. Um, we've we've been a, a tournament or an, an event, a global event, that's always put our money where our mouth is. We've invested in the player experience. We've invested in their compensation. And we'll continue to do so at, at a satisfactory level. Well, Catherine, he seems pretty uh, pretty certain that this is all going to get sorted out, and 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 I suspect he's right. Yes, I think the stakes are so high. I mean, obviously for him personally, being the tournament director of Australia, but for the sport in general, um, I think the stakes are ho- so high that a boycott would be um, pretty catastrophic. Really, I don't think any anybody wants it to come to that. I think so. I, I would be very surprised if that actually. Um, actually came to pass um and i'm sure yeah, I, I i can't see it i i think that they know what they're doing i think they'll sort it out i think we'll all be in the sun in january um enjoying a, another grand slam tournament at the australian open and um reliving some of these wonderful rivalries well it's been a fantastic first week catherine uh, i'm gonna have to revise my predictions just before we go no, no, because no, you don't Kavitova... get a second chance do you is that how is that how this works i don't know what's that do you get a second second bite? Yeah, of I the get cherry? a second chance know. because because I run the podcast, I get a second <laughs> chance. So I am now going to go. Well, I'm still with Andy Murray because I predicted him at the start of the tournament, didn't I? Um, and on the women's side, let's see. Shall I push the boat out again? Um, I'm going to go for. Serena Williams. How about that's, that? That's what we call pushing the boat out. Is it these <laughs> days? Wow. <laughs> But, well, uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, our Tennis Podcast episode 11. It's been good fun from our point of view, and, um, and we'll see you soon. 
So that's it for episode 11. We hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with a review of the US Open and we'll see if a new Grand Slam champion is crowned. Will it be Federer's sixth title? Will Djokovic defend successfully? It'll all unfold and we'll talk it over once it's done right here on the Tennis Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.